Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us this day. Please know you're always welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. And we rejoice as we've come now to the sixth Sunday after Trinity. And today in our readings, we'll hear about the giving of the law and then also from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what Jesus has for us there. And he speaks some words that at first might sound a little concerning, but when we understand them properly, we find that Jesus is pointing us to himself and to his righteousness. And so for more on that, I'll have you look to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin to the Focused on Christ section where we have a summary of our readings this day. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God demands nothing less than perfection and holiness from you in regard to his commandments. Your only hope, then, is not in your own goodness, but in the goodness of Christ, who did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them for you. In Christ, your righteousness does exceed even that of the scribes and Pharisees, for you have been baptized into Christ's death and your sinful nature crucified. Therefore, he who has died has been freed from sin. You are now raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, to share in his resurrection on the last day. Christ has brought you through the baptismal sea, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We do have great joy of receiving the Lord's body and blood in and under bread and wine this day. And he bids us to come to his altar, united in our confession of the faith. And in other words, that there would be no divisions among us, as St. Paul writes. Therefore, all those coming to receive the Lord's Supper this day, we ask be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, joining in that one common orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our divine service is setting three as it begins on page 184. We now sing the first hymn. Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name, Increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of your great mercy keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the sixth Sunday after Trinity is from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, dear saints in Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had their outward good works. And you know what? People were pretty impressed with them. Jesus says that they were zealous in their outreach. In Matthew 23, we read, you, that is the Pharisees, travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, that is a single convert, 
And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves, Jesus says. Do these words of our Lord mean that mission and outreach are bad? Well, no, not at all. What he means is this. If we reach out with the gospel to satisfy our own need to justify ourselves and our existence, we may grow an organization by leaps and bounds, but it will not be the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. And let's be honest, folks. Sometimes we do engage in outreach and speak about mission work because we want to feel better about ourselves as Christians. But our good intentions and our outward works, they are not enough to save us from sin, death, and hell. The Pharisees, well, they were also very charitable. In fact, many gave large sums. Jesus said that they tithed even in the details of their lives. Again, from Matthew 23, we hear this. Jesus says, you, that is Pharisees, tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So does this mean that it's bad to give and to tithe? No, not at all. Frankly, we could all strive toward more sacrificial, cheerful giving to support our congregation at a minimum of 10% of our income and then give generously on top of that to other people and charities in our lives. But let's be honest. Sometimes we do put money in the plate because we want to feel better about ourselves as Christians. And as good as it is to give, doing so will not be the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. As it is with outreach, so it is with giving. Your good intentions and your outward works are not enough to save you from sin, death, and hell. Now, as for the Pharisees and their praying and their fasting, well, they did these things with great discipline. And obviously, these are good things as well. Think about it. Couldn't we all be more disciplined in our prayers and in reading the Holy Scriptures more? But just doing the work is not the righteousness that avails before God. Fasting is good. It is commended to us not only by Holy Scripture itself, but also in the small catechism, the Lutheran confessions, and by our fathers in the faith. But again, let's be honest. Sometimes we do check off our daily prayers as if it were just another item on the spiritual to-do list just so that we can feel better about ourselves as Christians for a day. But no matter how many days you pray and fast in a year, those actions, those works themselves will not produce a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So here's the deal. All works, no matter how impressive they are among men, they are worthless before the judgment seat of God apart from faith. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, our Lord says. Apart from faith, charitable giving, outreach, and even prayer are not good. Apart from faith, they do not please God. Apart from faith, that is, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. The sinner can travel the whole world and do all manner of things, but apart from Christ, he is not righteous in doing them. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. This is the difference between doing works for righteousness versus doing works from righteousness. And I'll say that again. This is the difference between doing works for righteousness versus doing works from righteousness. Those who work for righteousness will never and can never do enough. But those who are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has done enough, these are the ones who are sanctified and pleasing to God. Only Jesus has the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. This is the righteousness of faith. 
when we believe that for Christ's sake, God has freely forgiven us our sins and imputed, that is, credited to us, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, his Son. We fail miserably. Jesus kept the law perfectly in our place, and by grace, God credits his perfection in keeping the law to us, to all those who are called to faith in Jesus. This promise, which is the very gospel itself, cannot be bought, cannot be worked for, studied for, or invented. It is given in the words of the gospel and received through faith alone. For a promise can only be received through faith and not through works. Oh, and by the way, the faith which receives this promise is also a gift given by the Holy Spirit. As was mentioned in the sermon last week, it is the Holy Spirit who works faith when and where it pleases God and those who hear the good news that God justifies those who believe that they are received into grace for Christ's sake. This happens not through our own works or merits, but for Christ's sake. Put simply, faith is a gift from God the Holy Spirit. Faith holds to the promises of the gospel and receives God's gifts. This is a very important truth. Faith receives. And it's important for two reasons. First, If we turn faith into our work, then we rob Christ of his glory and we set ourselves up for despair. If we seek certainty for our salvation in the sincerity sincerity of our heart's act of believing, instead of seeking certainty in the word and promises of God, well, then we set ourselves up for despair. In fact, it is often when our faith feels the weakest that it is the strongest. For then we have nothing to cling to but Jesus Christ alone. Second, if we turn faith into our work, then we're going to have trouble sharing the gospel with atheists. Now, let me unpack that a bit. You see, many atheists are fine with the idea of a theoretical God who for salvation would require that you, for example, mow your lawn twice a week, pay your bills on time, and not be outrageously evil. That kind of thinking makes sense to our fallen human reason. A religion of works seems fair. It seems achievable. What atheists object to is the God of the Bible, the one true living God. Why should I believe in a God, they say, who is so self-absorbed that his one requirement is that we believe in him? How petty is it that God would eternally condemn those who do not believe in him if God is so needy that he needs us to believe in him before he can feel better? Ironically, on this point, the atheist and the make-a-decision-for-Jesus Christian, they both agree on something. They both assume that faith is a choice we make and that you have to make the right choice in order to make God happy. So the Christian, laboring under this false impression, seeks God's favor and the certainty that he is saved in the moment that he made a decision for Jesus. And I mean really, really, truly, sincerely made a decision for Jesus. The atheist thinks that a God who requires this is petty and should not be believed anyway. However, the reality is that God already favors you because of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. God does not wait for people to fulfill some requirement or choice. As St. Paul said, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. Jesus lived the perfect life for all people and paid the debt of sins For all people on the cross. By raising him from the dead, God the Father has universally declared this to be valid for all people and has reconciled the world to himself. Theologians call this universal or objective justification because it's a done deal. 
objective truth for all people of all times. It doesn't need to be somehow activated by our choice before God can be favorably disposed towards us. So to the atheist, we might say that God does not need us to believe in him before he can be happy or favorably disposed with us, but that for Christ's sake, he already favors us. To believe this good news is true and is to both enjoy it and receive its benefits. And that's for your sake, not God's. As I mentioned before, a promise can only be enjoyed and received by believing it. God does not want us to believe in him for his sake, but for our own sake. He wants us to receive the blood-bought forgiveness of Christ Jesus, his son, as he delivers it to us in his word, baptism, absolution, and his holy supper. Conversely, our Lord does not condemn the unbeliever because God is petty, but for this reason. Think about it. If we reject the objective reality which saves us and we call it a lie, then we have cut ourselves off from the means of forgiveness, life, and salvation. And what will save us then? Our works? Good luck with that. Which brings us back finally to faith and works. Generally speaking, faith and works of love are not opposed to one another, not for the Christian. It is not an either-or. God wants his baptized people to show their faith by their works. Elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And St. Paul agrees also with this as we heard in the epistle today, just a couple verses before it began. And then as we heard, he said, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. But when it comes to justification, that is, how one can stand before the judgment seat of God, be saved and enter into heaven, then our Lord Jesus Christ himself teaches that there is an eternal opposition between faith and works. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Entrance into the kingdom cannot come from that kind of righteousness. It cannot come from your works. Eternal life is not earned by your good works or your good intentions. It will not simply do to give a higher percentage than the Pharisees or than the person next to you in the pew, for that matter. It will not do to be more zealous in missions than them. It will not do to up our sincerity by 60 or 100%. So also... Being or becoming a woke social justice warrior, that is not a modern substitute for the Pharisees' level of prayer and fasting. Our righteousness cannot save, and it cannot give a clean conscience before God. Only Jesus' righteousness saves, which we have through faith. Thanks be to God. It is not enough for us to be better than the Pharisees by degrees, but we must have an altogether different righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ. On this, St. Paul writes in Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. God's righteousness is Christ. It is the only righteousness that can save. Therefore, the Christian who has the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith alone exceeds the righteousness 
of the Pharisees. The Christian's works of love, these come from a renewed spirit, and they're not done in order to earn anything from God. A baptized child of God seeks only God's glory and not his own convenience or glory. And yet, since we serve the law of sin with our flesh, even as we serve the law of God with our mind, as St. Paul writes in Romans 7, and because our life as Christians is not the perfect life of Christ, we confess that we cannot enter the kingdom of God through and because of our Christian lives. It's not Jesus plus our good works. It's Jesus alone which saves. So whenever the question is, how shall we live? The answer is this, with faith in God and love toward our neighbor. But whenever the question arises in our hearts as to how we can enter the kingdom of heaven, we flee for refuge, not to the pharisaical righteousness of the flesh, nor to our own imperfect Christian lives, but in faith alone to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Christ's works save. Our works serve our neighbor. As we sing and as we confess in the great hymn, for faith alone can justify, works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. And so also from our sermon hymn this day, we thank you, Christ, new life is ours, new light, new hope, new strength, new powers. This grace our every way attend until we reach our journey's end. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the people of God and for all people, lifting up our hands and prayers to our refuge and our rock, who is not deaf to his own, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church that we would receive the spirit of peace and reconciliation and so live together in forgiveness and harmony, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all Christians, that God would increase in them true fear, love, and trust in his saving name, and that we may have no other gods but him, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all fathers and mothers, pastors and teachers, that God would guide and bless them as they bring up children in the discipline and knowledge of the true faith, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the children of God, that we would learn to love and forgive our neighbors, to support them in every bodily need, to speak kindly to them, and to hold no hatred in our hearts. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For Christian people, as they ponder all truth, goodness, and beauty, that they would learn the truth of God's word, be filled with virtue and righteousness, and be inspired to adore the glory of the Lord, and so always be one with him. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who receive the Lord's body and blood this day, that forgiven of their sins and bound to God in his communion of love, they would also gladly forgive the sins of their brothers and let no division arise at this holy table. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick, those shut in, those recovering, and anyone in need, especially Nathan Burmeister, John Brenneman, Vanessa Burmeister, Charlotte Locke, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, Ted Phil and Ted Phillips, that the Lord, who is their strength and shield, would have compassion and grant healing, peace, and restoration according to his will. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who mourn, especially the family of Bill Hinkabine, that they would be comforted by the promise of holy baptism, that whoever is united with Christ in a death like his shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
Let us pray to the Lord. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners who, with no good in us, our hearts and our flesh and blood are so corrupted by sin that we are never without sinful desires in this life. Therefore, we implore you, forgive us our sins. Let your Holy Spirit so cleanse our hearts that we may love your word, abide in it by your grace, and be saved forever. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the same Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome to you all on this sixth Sunday after Trinity. A handful of announcements as we continue on with uh, our very busy month of July. It's kind of an exceptional year in that regard. Uh, of course, we have Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. Tomorrow, Esther Bible study at 1.30 p.m., this Tuesday, Women's Theology on Tap at the Parsonage at 7 p.m. This Wednesday, Lutheran Confession Study Group uh, will meet at 9 a.m. And I believe we are beginning the Augsburg Confession. On uh, this Thursday, please note a, a shift in the schedule. At 6 p.m., we have the Trinity Women's Meeting, and then at 7.30, we will have Men's Theology on Tap. So men, note that it's a half an hour later. Ladies, note that your time is a little earlier than uh, originally published in the, uh, the calendar. So please make note of that. Uh, the altar flowers are to the glory of God in remembrance of Frida Hans. They're very beautiful, by the way. It's wonderful to have those. Also upcoming, the LCMS National Convention. This is going to be the last week of the month going into the beginning of August. The 68th regular convention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod will be meeting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'll commend the whole of the announcement to you. Suffice it to say, uh, our own Ian Davidson is going to be representing the Carroll and also, or Carrollton and um, Concordia Circuits as our uh, voting lay delegate. So if you have any questions about the convention, please talk to him. He's received study materials about this thick uh, to go through in preparation for that. And there are plenty of good things which will be discussed and accomplished there at the convention. Also, we have our Higher Things Conference. Next Sunday, uh, the, the kids and I, along with my wife, will be heading down to San Antonio, Texas for their annual conference. Um, so we ask for your prayers and we thank you already in advance for your uh, graciousness and for your many gifts to support this. Um, pray God's blessings on all who will attend. Uh, one last announcement. I had someone ask me about this earlier in the week. We have a worship conference coming up, or I should say there is a worship conference coming up. We're not hosting it. It's actually in St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. It's on Saturday, August 19th, and that'll be from 8.30 to 4. Uh, the theme is Faithful to the End, and the Reverend Roberto Rojas, uh, I know him as Robbie, he was a classmate of mine at the seminary, he'll be the keynote speaker. Uh, so the registration schedule, etc., that may be found on the website that's listed there in the bulletin, and the cost is $25, and that does include lunch. And as I mentioned before, I don't think you're going to want to miss it. Uh, Pastor Rojas is a fantastic teacher, uh, very relatable, and he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. Uh, he's, he's wonderful. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our announcements. Anything else before we continue on with our morning? All right. God's peace be with you as you go forth, knowing that Christ's righteousness is your righteousness by grace through faith, and we ever cling to him for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. Go in that peace. I'll greet you at the door.